last Sunday evening, my wife Tori and I uh, were in the ballroom at the Hilton near the airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And we were there uh, with 280 18 to 22 year old young people, young men and women who were about to embark on nine months of adventures in mission around the world. And that worship service was so fun. It was so loud. It was so spirit-filled and, and overflowing with, with joy and, and just the, this, this vibe of, of, of something big and significant going on. And uh, one of those 280 18 to 22-year-olds was my daughter, our daughter, J.C., a lot of you guys know JC. I am going to put a picture of her up here. She's not here, so I could do whatever I want. But I did ask her if I could share a little bit, and she said it was okay. But this is my daughter, JC. JC has chosen to spend this year, um, she's 18, uh, with the World Race Gap Year. And uh, it's through Adventures in Mission. And what JC's going to be involved in is. She's going to be on three different continents in four different countries over the next nine months with a squad of young people and particularly a, a team in particular of, of six others. Um, they're going to spend like three months in Ecuador. That's where she is right now. She'll spend a month in Peru. She'll spend, I think, three months in Guatemala and then a couple more months in Cambodia before coming home. Everything that she needs for that trip is in one of those two backpacks right there. A tent is in there. A sleeping bag is in there. A sleeping pad is in there. Um, everything that she thinks she needs is in there. And uh, it's awesome. I'm so excited for her. I'm pumped. But what would prompt a young person to do that? What would prompt a young person to, to leave everything that's comfortable and familiar and go off to um, every place that isn't comfortable or familiar um, on, on a mission trip? What would prompt a young person to do such a thing? I'll share some more specifics about what prompted her later, but the simple answer is the same thing that prompts you and I to walk across the street to walk across the hallway, to walk across the shop, to walk across the cubicle, to love our neighbor. A sense of calling. A sense of calling. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to continue a series that we began last week called Called Out. And, and in this series, we're, we're looking at what does it mean to be called by God? And, and Jeff, you didn't realize this, but you, you really spoke into this just in what you shared up here. And uh, you, you're just a perfect example of, of what we want to talk about this morning. We want, we're talking about calling in this series. Now, the first thing we need to just remember and understand is everyone is called. Everyone is called. Everyone who names Jesus as Savior, who follows Jesus as Lord, is called. You're called. You are called. We, we, we need to stop reducing calling to this, this it's special people in a specific place. Calling is universal for the follower, the disciple, the Christian. Brendan, uh, last week when he kicked this off, he, he shared this quote by Mark Laberton from a book that he wrote called Called. Okay, it, it, His book is called Called. And he says this, The heart of God's call is this. 
that we receive and live the love of God for us and for the world. The vocation of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus today in every aspect of life, in small and large acts, with family, neighbors, and enemies, we are to seek to live out the grace and the truth of Jesus. This is our vocation, our calling today. He goes on. In relation to this primary calling, all the rest is secondary. It matters, but not as much as this vocation. So things like gifts and context and challenges and personality, these affect how we embody, how we enact our following Jesus. Such things have all kinds of impact on how we live out our imitation of Jesus, but they are not the call itself. I'm just going to go back to that first screen. The heart of God's call is this, that we receive and live the love of God for us and for the world. That's your calling. That's your every second, every moment, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year calling. As long as you have breath, that's our calling. To live the love of God for us and for the world. That's, that's first. That's, that's primary. Like, I love how Brendan said that last week. I mean, we need to make sure we keep first things first. That's first. That's foremost. That's our primary calling. We need to be careful not to reduce calling to this particular specific thing that I need to find it in order to be fulfilled. This is everybody's everyday calling. Life is mission and mission is life. It doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter how old or young you are. doesn't matter your stage of life, your situation, your context, what you have, what you don't have. This is our calling as followers of Jesus Christ, to receive and live the love of God for ourselves and for the world around us. Life is mission, mission is life. And, and Brendan, uh, if you were here last week, talked about how, how calling transcends whatever season of life you're in, whatever you're experiencing in life, whether life feels like a meadow or a desert or a thorn or you feel like you're on target, calling happens in each of those experiences. Calling comes in each of those situations. And last week, uh, we, we, we invited you to consider if, if calling is something you want to dive deeper into, you want to explore, you want to discover um, in, in more specific ways how to live out this primary and general calling, we invite you to participate in this simple, lightweight, low-maintenance online tool called Calling Lab. Brendan has done a great job of creating this tool. And uh, it's something that you can just go online for. You can go right to that, that website. You can sign up and you will begin to receive some emails each week for a season. And those emails will bring some scripture to your attention, some questions to your attention, maybe some videos for you to watch. All, in the, the, all with the goal of helping you begin to live out your calling where you are with the people around you, and what can that look like? So um, consider that a great resource that we would love to see everybody um, take a swing at during this series. So consider Calling Lab. But today, and in the weeks ahead in this series, we just want to help all of us live into this primary calling, this general calling, and begin to help identify where and with whom and what context to embody the love of God to those around us. So here's what I want us to consider today. We're gonna, we're gonna keep coming back to a, a, a quote. And it's probably a familiar quote to some of you. Um, 
Here it is. And I would encourage you to write this down. If, you know, if you're taking notes or even if you're not taking notes or on your phone or something, just, just write this quote down. It's, a, it's often quoted, which quotes are. Uh, it's by Frederick Buechner, and it, he wrote a book called Wishful Thinking. And uh, this is what he says. He says, the place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger intersect. Just ponder that. The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger intersects. Here's a question. Have you found that place? Are you living in that place? Are you living in and out of that place right now? And what I want to talk about this morning is how do we increase our odds of discovering this place and being actively present in this place? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me pray and let's dive into it. Lord, this is a high calling. This is a good calling. This is, this is your plan for the world, that, that we live out our calling to represent you to everyone around us in our families, in our community, in our world. Lord, we want to take this calling seriously. So I pray this morning, if there's anything specific that you want to speak to each of us, that you do so, and we know you will. And so maybe my prayer is that we would listen, that we would receive, and that we would act on it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Do you know who seem to always live in this intersection who seem to always live in that place where the world's, you know, deep hunger and deep gladness come together. You know who, who tends to just seem to always live in that place? Who would you guess? What's that? Yes, Jesus, the old Sunday school answer, right? I mean, you guys have heard the story, right, of the, the, the Sunday school teacher who said, like, what is small and brown and has four legs and a bushy tail and lives in trees and eats acorns? And the kid like, well, I think you're describing a squirrel, but the answer is Jesus. Because the answer is always Jesus in Sunday school, right? But the answer is Jesus. Jesus always lived in this intersection. He, wherever he was, every day, he lived at the intersection of, of the Father's deep love and gladness in the world's deepest hunger. And I don't think it's just because Jesus was God and, you know, he has an advantage. I think it's more than that. I think it's because Jesus was intentional. He was deliberate about living an integrated life, okay? Now, for some of you, what I'm about to share is going to be 101 review. Good, solid things are worth reviewing. But for others of you, this might be a new observation, and I hope you find it helpful. But I just want to look at one little snapshot of Jesus' life and observe a couple things about what Jesus was invested in. Okay, so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. Um, bring it up on your phone if you want. Luke chapter 6, it'll be on the screen as well. And we're just going to read this little progression in Jesus' life, this little snapshot of, of his life, okay? He's begun his public ministry. He's been baptized. And, uh, you know, this is what happens in Luke chapter 6. It says, On one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Just pause real quick. Let me just make an observation. Jesus invested time investing in his relationship with his Father. Jesus carved out, made intentional space 
for relationship with the Father. Then what happened? So he prayed all night, right? Then when morning came, he called his disciples to him. And he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So there was Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and of course, Judas Iscariot, the one who became a traitor. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus intentionally invited others into his life. He invited others into relationship, into fellowship with him. He he invited them to to become his spiritual family. Then what happened? It says, then he went down with them and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits, they were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing them all. Jesus spent time engaging in bringing and being good news to those around him. He he saw the hurt in the people around him. He saw the world's greatest hunger around him and he embodied the kingdom of God. He he did ministry. And um, we use a tool around here and this is where it's going to become familiar for some of you. Uh, but, but we use this, this simple picture of a triangle to remind us that if we really want to be like Jesus, we need to attend to these three dimensions of life. We need to attend to and invest in and be intentional about these three dimensions of relationships. Because that's what Jesus did. We see in the Gospels, not just in Luke 6, but all kinds of places, that Jesus was always intentionally spending time investing in his relationship with his Father upward. He was investing time in relationship inward with the disciples, the apostles, the spiritual family he had around him. And he was also paying attention to a hurting world around him. And he was ministering and embodying the kingdom of God and incarnating good news to the people around him. Jesus lived a three-dimensional life, a 3D life, a life of up, in, and out. And what I want to suggest to us this morning, as we kind of are still in the beginning of this series, is calling is not one-dimensional. Don't reduce calling to a one-dimensional thing. Calling is best activated, discerned, experienced, and lived out in a life that is intentionally attending to and integrating all three of these dimensions of up, in, and out. They all contribute to calling. Brendan Brendan and I were talking about this this week, and uh, we were talking about the story of Esther. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Esther in the Old Testament. It's a great story. Um, It's not terribly long if you want to ever read it, if you haven't. It's just a couple books before the book of Psalms. You know how usually you open up your Bible like you open up to Psalms? Just go back right before Job, you'll find the book of Esther. I just want to summarize the book of Esther, the the story of Esther for us. Um, Esther, she was a Jew living in exile in Persia. Now her parents had died and so she was being raised by her uncle, her uncle Mordecai. Now, the king of Persia at this time, King Xerxes, um, he was on the hunt for a new queen because his current queen didn't do what he wanted, so he wanted to find a new queen. So he kind of sets up this, this nationwide beauty pageant, 
of sorts. And Esther gets caught up in this, and she's beautiful, and King Xerxes uh, chooses Esther to be his new queen. So we have um, this Jew living in exile in the land of Persia, chosen as queen by King Xerxes. Okay? Now, she doesn't tell anybody that she's a Jew because her uncle Mordecai had warned her to keep quiet about that. Now, like every good story, there's a villain. Okay? There's a villain in this story, and his name is Haman. Now, he's a nobleman in King Xerxes' you know, court. Now, Haman didn't like Mordecai. And when Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he conspired to have all of the Jews in the land killed. So a date was set. He convinces King Xerxes to, to, let's get rid of the Jews. So they set a date to kill all the Jews in the land. Now Mordecai, he finds out about this edict. And he pleaded with Queen Esther. He pleaded with her to do something. Now at first, Esther fears. She fears for her life, um, and she resists. But eventually, eventually Esther um, calls all the Jews in the land to three days of fasting. And at the end of those three days of fasting, she spoke to King Xerxes, and she exposed Haman's plot and asked the king to spare her and all the Jews in the land. Now, King Xerxes gets upset with Haman for plotting all this and deceiving him. Um, And so what he does is he kills Haman and he blesses Esther and Mordecai with all these gifts and he passes a law that, that no Jews can be killed. It's a great, great story. Now there's this verse that gets quoted a lot from Esther that I want to quote with you because that's what you do with quotable things. Um, Esther 4.14. You guys know this. Some of you do at least. If it, when, when Mordecai goes to Esther and is trying to convince her to do something you know, about this injustice that's about to happen, and she's resistant, um, he says this to her. If you keep quiet, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Isn't that powerful? to ponder that, that that maybe you were made queen for this very moment, for this very reason, that God in his providence and in his sovereignty and in his grace has maneuvered things, positioned you in this spot, in this place, for this moment. In the story of Esther, you see this intersection where the dangerous threats to the Jews and Esther's love and gladness for her people and, and God's love for his people. And Esther's gifts, or more so her position of influence, collide, converge in this moment in time, and Esther steps right into it. Calling, calling, being aware of how God wants to use you in each and every moment to live and give the love of God to the people around. You also see, I think, in Esther's story, This integration of up, in, and out. Of all three of these relationships, like like Esther paying attention to them, being intentional with them, and how they contributed to her sense of calling. You know, the out, I think, would obviously be the, the need around her. The Jews are about to be killed. You know, so Esther engages in up. Hey, you guys, we gotta fast. 
We, we got to fast and, and we need to like spend time listening to the Lord. In her inn is, is Mordecai, her family, you know, who, who are speaking into her life and, and speaking, you know, invitation and challenge into her life. You see this integration of up in out. I see that in my daughter JC's story, you know, who I talked about at the beginning. Like, as I reflect and think back on her journey, I see how her being intentional with her relationship up with God, in with people around her, and out with a broken world has contributed to this, this clarification, this, you know, getting more specific with her calling. I was reading uh, her blog. She, as a world racer, she has to you know, keep a blog going. And she's written three things so far, two before the race and one just yesterday. She's an amazing writer. She should be a, a pastor, a preacher or something. She's way better communicator than I am. But uh, this, is what, this is what she says. I'm just going to read a few excerpts from her very first blog post you know, about the race. She said, why the world race? Okay, why the world race? So here's how she begins. She says, what are your plans for next year? As a graduated senior from high school, I've probably been asked this question a million times. It's pretty much inevitable that once you tell someone you're a senior, they will ask you what your college plans are. Some of you are probably experiencing that, you know, or will soon. And I'll be honest, I hated this question for a long time. Even way back in October, I knew college wasn't the right plan for me at least not right away. I would be at school and everyone would talk about the colleges that they were applying to, the visits that they had been on, and the acceptance letters that they got. For some reason, I couldn't bring myself to get excited about any of it. I applied to a few places, mostly just to get my parents to stop nagging me about it. (laughs) Probably Tori, you know. (laughs) No, I will own that one as well. Tori's in kid zone, so I could say what I want to. That's just between us, though, right? Like, okay, all right. Um, but I think I knew that I wouldn't end up at college in the fall. For starters, I had no clue what I wanted to study in college, so I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. That's wise. Anybody who's, like, getting to be graduate age, that's wise. If you don't know what you want to study, you don't have to rush out and spend money on trying to figure it out. And also, I really wanted to go out and do something, not just sit in a classroom for another year. So thinking about these things, you can imagine how excited I am to be going out and doing mission work the next year instead of heading off to college right away. Getting accepted into World Race was one of the best things ever. And, I, and it just feels so right. I can't wait to leave and meet my squad, to see new places, to try new things, and show God's love to those who have never known it. Now answering the question, what are your plans for next year, is one of my favorite things to do. You might be wondering how I got from not wanting to go to college to deciding on the world race. The simple answer is, God told me to. God told me to. But I'll give you a few more details. Then listen to this part. Around the same time that I made the final decision to take a gap year next year, even though I didn't know what I was going to do during it, our youth group leaders had challenged us to spend 30 minutes a day deliberately seeking God, listening to his voice, and just spending time with him. I would journal during this time and write down what I felt God was saying to me. Reading back through my journal, I see God kept asking, to, asking me to put it all at his feet. He was telling me that he had a plan and that I couldn't figure it out on my own, that I was going to have to figure it out with God. 
During those 30 minutes, sometimes I would flip open to a random passage in the Bible. A lot of them were about listening to what the Lord had to say to me, drawing near to him, being completely devoted to him. So I, I see that upward dimension in my daughter's journey. She, she intentionally created space regularly in a predictable way to listen to God's voice. That contributes to calling. If you're not doing that, it's hard to discern sometimes. Then, then this, I'm going to skip a bunch. Then she says this. She says, one day we were praying for each other at Bible study and my youth leaders said that they saw me backpacking through mountains preaching to people groups who had never heard the gospel before. I was like, this sounds like something I would be doing with the world race, even though I hadn't mentioned to them yet that I was thinking about it. Then one morning, sitting in my first period at school, I felt like I heard God whisper, go, over and over again, go. I was a little confused, but felt like God was telling me to go finish applying for the world race. Right after that class, we went to chapel, and we sang, lead me to the cross in oceans by Hillsong Worship. One talked about leading me to God's heart, the other about leading me to where my trust is without borders. I was like, okay, God, if you're telling me to go, I'm going to go. I see an inward dimension there. My daughter surrounded herself with some people in a youth group and at school um, that she allowed to to speak into her life, to to give her words, to give her pictures um, that, that, that matched up with what she was experiencing upward with God. You know, I, and there's more, she writes, you know, teachers speaking into her life in journals. You know, I, I think about even our own missional community experience. You know, missional communities, uh, for those of you who maybe are new at Victory Point, that's just, it's not as big as this, but it's bigger than a small group. It's a mid-sized group of people, you know, 20 to 40 people who, who, who are learning to, to be family on mission together. And uh, my family's been part of a missional community here at Victory Point called Great Lakes Elementary School Missional Community. And it, as I reflect, I'm so grateful for those people like speaking into my daughter's life over the last year. And one of my favorite memories of missional community to date is like, I don't know, three weeks ago, a month ago, we were in the living room at Dave and Betty Jo Hans house and Betty Jo asked JC to sit in the middle and ask everyone to gather around her and to pray over her. Um, that, that, that JC's church prayed for her. You know, her, her, her church like contributed you know, with, with resources to help make this possible. Like, uh, she, this inward dimension was present. You know, she, she, um, she invested in it. You know, she uh, engaged in it, and it contributed to her sense of calling. And her out, obviously, is right now Ecuador. <laughs> that, that's where it is right now for a few months. And uh, she, she's engaging, you know, her calling in a very specific way. And uh, she sent us a picture yesterday. You know, there she is, one of her first few days in Ecuador. Now, let me ask you, have you discovered that intersection where the world's needs and God's great love for the world and the special and specific gifts and passions, you know, that he's given you all collide? And intersect that place where your God-given heart is drawn to someone or to something around you, and you look at who you are and what you have, and you take a swing at it. You just take a swing at. I think this is what Jesus would do. I think this is what living out God's love for the world would look like in this particular place with this particular people in this particular moment. Have you discovered that intersection?
Because let me say this, you don't have to go around the world. You don't have to go to Ecuador or Lesotho or to um, England. You might. God might call you to those places, and if he is, you should go. You know? But I know he's calling all of us to be on mission right where we are, right where we live. It could just as significantly be, like I said at the beginning, it could be going around the world, it could be going across the street, it could be going across the hallway, going across the, the office space, going across the shop floor, going across the classroom. That, that is just as significant. And can I just suggest to us this morning that the more that you and I intentionally press into those dimensions of life, that, that upward relationship with God, that, that inward relationship with spiritual family and community, that, that outward perspective and dimension of the world around us. The more we press into those things, the more we increase our chances of discovering and discerning our current expression and nature of our calling. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack that a little bit more specifically. We're going to, we're going to unpack you know, up and in and out in, in some tangible ways. But let me just conclude with a couple questions this morning. What, what is your for such a time as this? If you were to answer that question, I mean, are you aware of that at all? Like, like, do you feel like you might be in that moment? Like, what is your for such a time as this? And I don't know if you caught it, but I was reflecting on this yesterday, having a conversation with my neighbor about calling. Um, Mordecai's words to Esther. He's basically saying, Esther, if you don't do this, somebody else will, and you're going to miss the chance. He said, if not you, God will raise up somebody else. God will always accomplish his purposes. He'll always accomplish his desires. But wouldn't it be a shame to miss out on it? It could have been you, and you didn't do it. Like, what, what is your such a time as this? Where is that intersection where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger collide? And I'm grateful for the, the simple stories like, like Lori shared last week, Lori DeVisser, just, uh, of just discerning calling, you know, um, not to, to go to Ecuador, but, but to stay present in her classroom, you know, the sweaty kids and everything, just to stay present in the classroom, because that's God's calling for you right now. And, and I appreciated her. If you missed that story, go back and listen to the message last week. It was really, really good and simple and powerful. I, I think of... 25 years ago, maybe it was more accurately like 26, 27 years ago when groups of people from two different church starts in Holland um, started to, to just get more in tune with this sense of calling, this, this desire to be good news and to be the love of God to people who don't know God, um, found each other in, in discerned in a sense of calling that, man, we should become one. And we should take a big swing at this and we should go after this because we want people to know Jesus. And there's people in this community who um, are outside of the church, who have nothing to do with the church, um, that we think God is calling us to go after. And they came together and started meeting together in, in living rooms and then in schools and then uh, eventually in this place. You know, in 1993, 25 years ago, officially were formed as, as a congregation in this community, Victory Point sense of calling. And over the last 25 years, we've done our very best to stay true to that calling. And it takes different, 
you know, shapes, and it's been expressed in different ways, but, but there's some of you who are in this room who were part of that 25, 26, 27 years ago. There's some of you in this room who significantly helped lead this place into where it is today. And, and I hope that, that you draw great satisfaction today um, from this thing that you helped birth is now 25 years old. We've become adults. We're an adult church now. And we actually have a sense of identity. We actually have a sense of who we are and what God is calling us to do and to go after. And we want to we keep writing stories over the next 25 years of God's faithfulness and goodness you know, in and through this group of people. What is your such a time as this? Where does your deep gladness in the world's hunger collide where's God calling victory point next where's God calling you next today tomorrow so I I just want to leave us with this hopefully it's a helpful tool then we're going to sing Um, so rather than a triangle up and out just want to offer this to you and maybe you want to write this in your notes just draw some circles Um, here's some reflection questions for you to take with you. I don't expect you to figure this out today, but can you begin to start thinking about this? When it comes to your your up dimension, passions, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate for? What what in the world around you makes you mad or glad or sad? How about as you look inward, what resources do you have to offer what, what gifts and abilities or finances or possessions or relationships? What, what, do you, what, what are your possessions you have to offer in calling to God? And as you look at the world, the out, as you look out, what, what are the problems, the injustices, the issues do you see around you in your community, in the world? You know, where might your passions and possessions in the world's problems converge? into a really more specific calling, a place where you can take our primary calling to to live and love the world, to to, to live the love of God to the world in a very particular place and setting. I offer this to us to just, to think about, to dwell on, to to begin to to ponder as we move forward in this series of discovery. So I'm gonna invite the band up at this time. But I would suggest that, uh, what would it look like if you this week kind of did an audit. You sat down individually with a piece of paper and like started answering those questions. What are my passions? What is, where is God stirring my heart? You know, what, what are the possessions I have to offer? And where could those things be applied to the needs of the world? What if you did that individually? What if you sat around a dinner table with your family and started thinking about that through the lens of a family? What if you, you sat in a living room with a missional community or a group of people that you're, you're doing life with and, and started thinking about these questions? And then, you know, writing some stuff in the middle. Big, big stuff, little stuff, doesn't matter. And then just took a swing at one of them. You know, give it a go. What would that look like? So, I, I'll just leave you with this space for a moment. Like, what's God, where's he grabbing your attention right now? What's he, what's he stirring in you right now? What, what's he saying to you? Just take a minute and try to hear that and write it down. Write it down on your phone. Write it down on your notes. Maybe circle something. What's grabbing you?
What's, what's speaking to you right now as you think about all this? And as you discern that, let me just give you one more question. You know what it is. What's one thing you can do in response to that this week? What's one simple step, one thing you can do to take what God's grabbing you with, speaking to you about, and and take a step, make a move, act on it? What, What might that be? Just write that down too. going to end our time this morning with just a time of worship and a time of communion together. You know, when I think about that, that quote that we've been revolving around this morning, you know, that, that place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger intersect, I can't help think of the cross. The cross. The cross is the ultimate intersection of those two things. The world's deep hunger, the world's deep need, the world's deep problem, our deep problem need is sin separates us from God. Sin creates this disability for us to have communion with God the way he desired for us to have it. The Father's deep gladness is He can't imagine heaven without us. So he came down to earth to bring heaven to us. The Father's deep gladness is restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness. And so Jesus, the Son, observing this problem that sin created, said, I'll go. I'll take care of it. I'll take the sin upon me and in exchange... I'll give forgiveness and life and the kingdom, not just for when we die, but for right here and right now. And so we just want to end this morning just remembering that in the way that Jesus invited us to remember that by having communion together. I just want to read Paul's words, uh, how he summarized this, um, this tradition, this practice. Uh, in, In 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, it's the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
So we're going to end our time together participating in this this holy, sacred, joy-filled, powerful symbol of remembrance. We're going to sing a couple songs, and as we sing those songs, you are invited to come forward uh, and receive communion. And the way we kind of do that here at Victory Point just kind of works best is uh, we usually start with the people in the front of the section to just kind of leave to your left, come up, and, and you'll be served communion in front of your section, and then return to the right. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're not able to physically come forward, just tap on somebody who's getting up beside you and say, hey, send them back, and uh, we'll do that, okay? So why don't we stand?